Yeah, but some of it feeds on itself too. So yeah. I think we, as leaders, often feel frustrated about how much people are connecting with their neighbours or aren't, <laughs> how many yeah. conversations are happening, whatever. And so I always want to check myself first yeah. and say, how much am I doing that? Because yeah. if I'm not, I have no right to ask anybody else to do it. Yeah. Because why should they if I'm not even willing to do it? Yeah. So that's question number one. But I then think there's a follow-up to say, if people aren't doing this organically, yeah. it's because there's something missing in their passion and their heart about their relationship with Jesus. Because we talk about the things that we're passionate about. We talk about footy. We talk about the movies that we've seen. We talk about music. We talk about this great meal that I had. You, we don't have to tell people, go and tell someone <laughs> that you yeah. went and saw the Avengers movie and it was amazing. Like yeah. <laughs> no one had to get up and say, go and do that. Yeah. It just yeah. happens. So yeah. we have to ask ourselves some questions. What's going on in people's relationships with Jesus that it's not something that is moving them enough that they feel motivated to go and say to someone else, this thing is making a huge difference in my life. Hello friends, you're listening to Captivate Podcast, the best place for theological discussions about worship, Christian ministry and mission. You're with Mike and Andy and this is episode 9. How are you today, Andy? I am fantastic, Mike. How are you going? I'm not too bad. Um, people are going to have to forgive this podcast episode because I am feeling a little bit sick. Uh, which you might hear a few coughs and splutters in the background, um, but uh, I'm my spirit is okay. I was trying to do my best to actually edit your coughing and <laughs> stuff out, but the other thing that people will need to forgive us is um, the fact that we keep on touching microphones all the time. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and you can hear the boop, boop, yeah, boop. But we're still we're still ironing some of these issues out, so you'll. Um, but I'm sure the content will be, and the guest we have on today will be great as usual. Uh, speaking of the guest, uh, we have Nathan Vorza, or Nate, or Nath. Um, yeah, what's his actual name? I'm still confused. I, I know him as Nath, um, but that was from 10 or 12 years ago. You know him as Nate. That's right. That's, that's the Americanized version. Um, yeah, but... Nath is uh, my youth pastor from ages ago. Um, he, yeah, from the church that I was at, um, he went over to the, the US for some time um, and he's now uh, currently the pastor at Brooklyn Park Church of Christ. Um, and what are we talking to him about today, Eddie? Yes, so a uh, few topics, few themes that we discussed with Nate. Um, we talked about evangelism. Uh, a bit and then we moved into the area the topic of discipleship uh, and then we finished off uh, the conversation talking about small groups as well so we kind of I think just trying I'm just trying to remember we were recording this introduction after we had a conversation with Nate so I'm just trying to remember what we sort of talked about and, and what was the order of our discussion but I think yeah we started with discipleship then we launched into evangelism and then we had a conversation about small groups and how that works. Then we went back to evangelism. Then we went back to discipleship. And then, yeah, we just talked about everything. Yeah. <laughs> but the, the, main, the main themes that we discuss in these conversations are evangelism, discipleship and small groups. Yeah, but I think you'll find just, um, yeah, as you're listening through, you'll find that uh, a lot of the main themes kind of 
of these th uh, themes that we're talking about um, kind of do tie in together really well um, as we, we talk with Nath and his um, take on it all. So, yeah, hopefully you guys find it helpful. Before we jump into this conversation, Mike, a few things we need to mention. Do you want to talk about the book giveaway stuff and how that's going? Is it going at all? Um, well, yeah, I mean, it, it's not. <sighs> what have you done? What have what? I done? Um, well, I haven't gone on and liked and reviewed the Captivate podcast page, oh. but that's because I'm the one that's giving away the book, Sandy. Right. So what you're saying is <laughs> no one's listening to our instructions and no <laughs> one is actually going on our Facebook page or iTunes and leaving us a comment or a review or five-star five star review rating and yep. therefore we have no one to give this free books that to. is correct oh, but come on guys I have, your game come I on. have a better deal all right what is it the next the next two people that contact us in any way and mention something about the book giveaway <laughs> are going to get <laughs> one of the books you know what? That makes the you sound. The first person. That makes you hang on. That makes you sound really desperate, brother. Well, I've I've read them, <laughs> and I want I want to bless someone else with them, but you know. Um, so the first person to do it uh, will get the choice of the two. The second person will get whatever's left, and any after that will say, "Thank you for your contribution." Okay. So people, so people just need to do what? Just get in touch with us in any shape and form. They get in touch with us, send it. us an email, get on Facebook, send us a message, whatever. And what do they have to say? And mention the book giveaway. Have you got any books left, Mike? Give and me that book. I want that free book. Yeah, and I will make it happen. Okay, good. Sounds good. All right, uh, what else do we need to talk about? Um, let me just quickly mention... Uh, different ways you can support us so if you are benefiting from this podcast guys and if you appreciate the content if you are learning things and you would like to see uh, more episodes in the future and you would like to see more interesting conversations um, you can encourage us by supporting us on patreon patreon is a page designed for uh, creators like us to get sponsorship from those who are listening so uh, patreon.com slash captivate podcast is the website that you can go on to and find different ways of supporting us financially uh, this podcast is a free podcast and it's always going to be this way but unfortunately it costs a bit of money to um, release episodes and to buy equipment and to make sure that everything is done uh, the best way possible so uh, it costs us a bit of money and our time as well to I give this content to you but really uh, we really um, love doing that so uh, we are not going to stop but we would appreciate uh, your support if you feel that this is something that you would like to do um, please do not hesitate and do that if uh, sponsoring us financially is not something that you are ready to do just yet but you still want to uh, show us some love you can always go on Facebook on iTunes or any other platforms and leave us a review that really goes a long way mm. Either that or go on our newly formed discussion group on Facebook. Yeah, actually, thanks for mentioning this, Mike. Uh, we have a discussion group on Facebook, which is designed uh, for you guys to go on to and uh, discuss and comment on some of the topics that we are discussing on the podcast. I think we've got 40 or 45 people in that group so far. Yeah. That's pretty good. 
uh, discussions are a little bit slow, so don't be shy, guys. Just you know, feel free to uh, comment on things and throw around ideas if you mm. want. And uh, yeah, so that's another thing. And uh, finally, Mike, you want to mention something about Captivate Community Night coming up? Captivate Community Night we have on the 19th of July. Um, it's going to be held at Ross Trevor Baptist Church in the cafe space. Uh, really excited about um, this and hopefully those who are local in Adelaide can get along uh, to this. I think it's 7.30 kickoff. There is an event on Facebook you can find through the Captivate or Captivate podcast pages. Yep. Um, and um, yeah, really hope to see you there. Awesome. So if you're local in Adelaide, you should come along. It's going to be good fun. Well, All I right. think it's time... It is. To hear from Nath. Nate, Nathan, how are you? Nate. <laughs> then, I don't know. Nate, Nate Vorza. Is it Vorza? I don't know. We'll, 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 we'll figure this out when, okay. we, when we chat to him. All right. Here's the interview with Nate, and we'll have a bit more to say at the end. All right, Nate Vorza, welcome to the Captivate podcast. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for going? having me. I'm very well, thanks. How are you? Good, very good. good. Thanks. Now, I know you as Nath. Yes. Um, your mum and dad probably know you as Nathan. That's correct. And, um, you go by Nate. Can you just unpack that for I can. us so we can get that out of, out of the way? Yeah, first? so my official name when I was born was Nathan, and then as we do with all Australians, we shortened the name, and so I was known as Nath in high school and that sort of thing, and then especially, yes, through my uh, late teenage years into my young adulthood when we met, Mike, mm. uh, was Nath, and then we moved to Canada, and uh, over there, Nath is not a thing, and most people couldn't understand what I was saying most of the time, so I tried to make things as easy as possible, and Nate is a fairly normal name, and so that became normal, and then we were there for seven and a half years, and so when we moved back, it kind of stuck, but I say to people, you call me whatever you want, so Nath yeah. is fine, Nate is fine, I get called Nat by some people, Nats. so... Whatever works, it's all good. Okay, yeah. So I've got so many different options now. Yes, yeah, exactly right. Nathan, yeah, Nate. yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, so uh, you mentioned that you used to live in Canada. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a bit more about that story and how did you end up there and what's, yes. what's happened? Yeah, well, the very short version, because there's a much longer version, uh, is that so I've been in ministry for about 16 years full-time now. Uh, I was at Ross Trevor Baptist for a fair while, which is where Mike and I connected, and then uh, helped plant a church in the city in Adelaide. And then as a part of that, uh, that was with the Uniting Church, and they gave me a grant to do a research project where I was going to go and visit a bunch of churches around the US to be able to talk about when you plant a church, how do you make sure the DNA sticks? and uh, some questions around discipleship. And as a part of that, ended up getting connected with this church in Toronto called The Meeting House and, uh, yeah, and ended up getting a job out of it, which was not on my radar whatsoever, <laughs> and it all happened extremely quickly. So July yeah. 2009, I uh, was happily living in Adelaide and kind of had things, knew where things were going, and then this pivot happened and we moved to Toronto in, at the end of September 2009, and we were there for seven and a half years. Mm, cool. So what was your uh, main area of ministry there? You, you mentioned a little bit of discipleship and, and evangelism. Was that... 
Yeah, so I was uh, I was a campus pastor. So uh, the meeting house is a multi-site church, and I understand that you're going to be talking to Bruxy, who's the teaching pastor from yes. there soon. So yeah. that'll be really exciting. So I'm sure you'll learn more about the meeting house when you talk to him. Uh, but it's a multi-site church uh, in Ontario, which is one of the states in Canada. And um, so all of the different campuses meet primarily in movie theaters. And so I was the campus pastor for the downtown Toronto uh, campus. And so my primary responsibility there was uh, investing in our home church leaders. So we had a really big home church network. And so my primary responsibility was investing in them and creating healthy discipleship environments through home church, uh, as well as obviously helping all the stuff to happen on a Sunday. Cool. Well, we want to dig a little bit deeper into um, some of those themes that you've spent a long time uh yeah in and um you know working on and figuring out um i guess yeah what you might still be figuring that this out but what best practices around uh some of those some of those things and um yeah so um just just to kick us off um what uh what do you think the difference between um discipleship and maybe evangelism is and you know are they different things? Yeah, yeah, that's a very um, good question. Might yes, be an icebreaker for you. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> Softball question. So, yeah, that's right. Nice, easy one to start things <laughs> off. Yeah, I, I think that it is a very blurry line. So mm. I'll probably start with discipleship partly because that I would say is more of my strength and area of focus. I'm certainly passionate about evangelism as well, but we should probably define what we mean by both of those things. So for me, discipleship is uh, as simple as taking your next steps in your walk with Jesus. So that's how I would articulate what discipleship looks like. And so we can dig more into that specifically, if you like. Um, But it's, yeah, as simple as saying wherever I am now, there's room for me to grow and for me to discover more about God and about myself and about faith and trust in Jesus and theology and life and all of those sorts of things. And so discipleship is simply the process of saying what's the next thing and then what's the next thing after that and the next thing after that. Because of that, I would say that there's not a massive difference between that and evangelism, because evangelism is still about taking your next steps in your walk with Jesus. Yeah. It's just, just starting from a different place is how we in the church would normally think about that. So when we talk about evangelism, we'd normally be talking about someone who hasn't necessarily made a decision to say, I want to make Jesus the center of my life, I want to base my priorities and my values around his teaching. Mm-hmm. And so evangelism in that context is then having conversations to say how do we help people wrestle with that and to be able to discover is there something bigger in life who is this guy Jesus how can you trust the bible what was Jesus on about what does that mean for me all of those to me are initial evangelism questions but they're still at the end of the day about taking a next step and a next step and a next step Um, and I think even for a lot of people there's not a clear okay and now I've crossed the line from not necessarily believing in this Jesus guy to believing in this Jesus guy. I think probably back particularly in the 70s and 80s, we had a bit of a clearer expectation around some of those things. But most people would identify now that the culture that we're in uh, means that people are coming from very, very different perspectives. And so that decision of I've, I've made a choice to follow Jesus may be something that I fall into and maybe mm, something that okay. actually happened a couple of years ago and I didn't even realise it. <laughs> and now I recognise actually it was back then or it may be something that I have said, but I realise actually there's a lot for me to go. So all of those lines get really blurry. Yeah, so it's not as obvious as... 
we would think, I suppose, when it comes to defining the difference between evangelism and discipleship. I grew up in a tradition where we used to say things like, we need to evangelize people, and then when they accept Jesus, when they hear the gospel, accept Jesus, say yes, pray the sinner's prayer, or yes. whatever else, that's when the discipleship starts. Yes. So we don't disciple them before. They need to make the first step to discipleship, which is, yes, I love Jesus, or whatever, right? Yeah. Um, but then, you know, I also hear people saying quite the opposite, and saying, no, no, you have to disciple them to their to, decision. Yes. What do you make of that? Yeah, I think that the question for me would be if you're working with someone who doesn't yet say that they would follow Jesus, whatever that means for them exactly, uh, if someone's in that place, what's the process of getting them to a point where they would say that they do? And for me, that would involve some uh, reading of scripture because that's probably going to be a key starting point for them, wrestling through some questions, um, probably having some experiences of connecting with God in one way or another. Uh, prayer is obviously going to be a big part of that too. But all of those things to me are a part of discipleship. So yeah. particularly reading scripture, praying, wrestling through questions and what's God saying to me, that to me is discipleship, but we're doing the same things in evangelism. So that's where I'd say there's a lot of similarities between it. I think that it is probably just the where's a person at in their journey. Um, and so if you wanted to draw a line somewhere, it would simply be about that question of has someone made a, a conscious choice to say, I have decided that Jesus is the most important thing in my life. My priorities are shaped by him. My values are shaped by him. I think if someone's saying those things, they're probably, then we'd say, yes, well, that's obviously discipleship if we want to break them out. Mm -hmm. And if they're not necessarily in that place, we would say that's probably more of an evangelistic conversation. Um, but, yeah, I think that it does blur a lot. Yeah, so it's yeah. kind of context-based kind yeah. of yep. thing. Yeah, and I think for some people, so particularly in some churches, I think there are processes that they have in place. So with someone who's not uh, in a place yet where they would believe in Jesus or trust Jesus or um, whatever that might be, they may well have some systems that they've got in place or some processes to help someone walk that journey. And they may have some other ones that are about, okay, once you've made a decision, once you've been baptised, once you've said, okay, yes, I'm a part of the church, we've got some other systems or processes. And so that's often, I think, where the distinctive kicks in for people is that particularly in bigger churches, you want to have some stuff that's a bit more organised. And so trying to say, okay, well, that's explicitly focused on that, that's explicitly focused on that can help. So just just delving a little bit just into you know we've said that they're kind of the you know bit the same thing but just you but know, they're not the same. That's right. They are well, the, same, not the same, but they're not. <laughs> do, do, do we know what we're talking about? I don't yeah, know. So we haven't really answered the question. But, um, <laughs> just just going down the the track of discipleship um, for you, can you explain what what does it mean for you um, to be a disciple of Jesus? Yeah, it's good. So I would articulate a disciple as being someone, as I've said, who does trust in Jesus. So they would say uh, Jesus is who he says that he is in scripture uh, and that Jesus has accomplished what he says that he's accomplished in terms of doing everything necessary for us to have a full, complete relationship with God. Um, so I would say someone who trusts all of that and then is embracing Jesus' way of life. And so Jesus' teaching and particularly, I think, what we find in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 to 7, is the core of Jesus' teaching that he then unpacks in other ways. Uh, I would say someone who's kind of focused on that and saying, how do I adapt this into my life is someone who's a disciple. Um, but for every single one of us, that is absolutely an ongoing journey. So that's why I like the language of talking about my next step, 
because there's never actually an end point. So you never mm. graduate as a disciple. Yeah. <laughs> you never get to a point where you're like, yes, I've got my badge. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm a disciple. Uh, yeah. It is this ongoing process for the rest of our lives where we continue to learn and surrender and make mistakes and ask forgiveness and then learn some more and move forward and sometimes go backwards. Uh, that's what yeah, discipleship's about. So in your experiences in, in, in ministry, we, we probably should have mentioned at the very start what it is that you do now. <laughs> sure. Because <laughs> <laughs> you, you talked about Canada. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've been That's there for a few right. years. Yes. And, you know, yeah. Meeting house, big church, mm-hmm. a few campuses. Mm-hmm. So before I jump into my question, how sure. about that? Yeah, how, how, about, how I got backwards? Just like you mentioned yeah, yeah. a few seconds ago, discipleship. Sometimes it's about going backwards. Yes. That's <laughs> well backwards. done. That's an excellent segue. I know. Great segue. Beautifully done. I know. Yeah. Uh, so tell us about what it is <laughs> sure. that you actually do now yeah. in your ministry, and then I'll jump in with a few, few questions. I yeah, sure. So I am currently the pastor at Brooklyn Park Church of Christ, uh, where we're meeting today in the illustrious, beautiful upstairs room. It is beautiful. <laughs> oh, no, it's glorious. Uh, and so, yeah, so I've been here for two and a half years, so since we moved back at the start of 2017. Um, and so, yeah, we're a church of about kind of 60 or 70 people or so, um, very multicultural very multi-generational and so we're in a a healthy place Um, but as all churches are we're wrestling with all sorts of things about how we connect with the community around us and uh, how we can engage with people who don't necessarily know much about Jesus Um, so yeah that's a big part of what my role is now okay cool so uh, back to my question yes (laughs) (laughs) so you've experienced uh, discipleship and evangelism and ministry in in different contexts large church smaller church Mm -hmm. really small church now in Mm -hmm. comparison to what used to be before what sort of differences do you see between um, engaging people in discipleship and evangelism yeah it's a good question so yeah I I count myself very fortunate to have had a number of different experiences so being at Ross Trevor which is a fairly large church for us here in Adelaide um, and then being in a church plant and helping to plant church from scratch and talk about what does that look like and then as you said being a part of a, a multi-site church uh, and now being in uh, here at Brooklyn Park um, so I think what I have found through all of that is that actually it's not that much different across all of those different things um, and that's the beauty of being able to experience all of that is that you start to see actually <laughs> these things work across all of them and these things don't necessarily make any difference across all of them Um, and so for me when I talk about the essence of discipleship it really is as simple as gathering some people together and I do think that smaller is better so I think that once you get into groups that are bigger than about eight or nine all of the dynamics shift in a fairly significant way Um, so for me it is about groups of more like three four five people being able to meet regularly and consistently. And so that to me would be weekly or fortnightly. Uh, Monthly is okay, but I think then the process draws out significantly longer. And then making a commitment to do that for the long haul. So discipleship doesn't happen quickly. It's not something that you can do as a big course and put everyone through it in 10 weeks and then again they graduate with their badge. It is something that is like week on week, just journeying together and wrestling through some intentional questions. So I think that's the difference that I have seen in terms of effective discipleship is that it really comes down to intentionality and being able to ask some questions that get the conversation going where you need it to go. Um, And so what I'm chewing on at the moment, what we're thinking about heading into the second half of this year is what it looks like for us to cluster some people together and to be able to primarily look at a few different questions. So what are some signs of life since the last time that we met? So what's been going well? Um, what have been some of the challenges that you've faced? So being able to have a, a space where you can talk about what's going on for you that's been a bit harder. 
what are you reading, particularly from scripture, um, partly just so that we're holding each other accountable, we're actually reading something. And I find that if we're all reading the same things, that can help because we can learn from each other in that. Um, and then what do you sense God's saying to you? So that could be because of circumstances. It could be what you sense God's saying to you through your prayer or through journaling, whatever it might be. And then the last question, which I think is probably the most important, is what are you going to do about all of that? So next, next steps. That's yeah. that next step question. So between now and next time we meet up, what's one thing that you want to think about, work on, put into practice, stop doing, whatever it might be? Um, and when you do that consistently over time, uh, you just start to tune in more to what God's up to in your life and what God's up to around you, which then produces a sense of moving forward in your journey. So if that group gets too big, it obviously just takes too long to do that, but you also don't have the sense of intimacy to be able to share openly and honestly around that. Um, once upon a time, I thought that that worked best in a one-on-one context, uh, but the most helpful book that I've ever read on discipleship was a book called Transforming Discipleship by a guy named Greg Ogden, and he talks about the idea of triads. And uh, the idea with that is that you meet with two other people. And part of that is that it removes any power dynamics. So sometimes when we do discipleship, it is about one person inputting into another. And that can be helpful. Um, But when that turns into mentoring or coaching, is it actually discipleship? And there's, again, blurriness about what all those things are. Uh, But I think that the idea of being able to say, there's three of us, really does level the playing field. So now it's not me telling you my wisdom. (laughs) It's us sensing what's God saying to us and how am I learning from you and how are you learning from each other. And so that's where I think three, four, five is a really, really good number to have. So in some of the contexts that I've been in, we've had really healthy small group ministries. And so uh, that can work as well. And I think it's good to gather people together. But as a part of the small group time, I would then break off into smaller groups. So if you had 10 people, 15 people, I'd be breaking off into some smaller groups as a part of that time to be able to work through those questions. Um, And for us, as we kind of talk about, do we launch into more small groups? Uh, or how do we just kind of up the temperature on discipleship? That's where we're kind of landing at the moment is to say, well, let's actually just start by clustering some people together in these groups of three, four, five, and then see where that all goes. Yeah. 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 So you you mentioned small groups, which is uh, well done. A really good, good segue <laughs> Thank for you. what just we want to talk that about up next. Didn't I know. Know. lob it up there. <laughs> but you didn't know, did Spike you? Spike it away. It's, no, I it's didn't. It's the spirit working <laughs> That's in your heart right. telling you what to say next. <laughs> Mike, <laughs> Mike, you had questions about small groups, did you? Uh, did I? Um, <laughs> yeah, I was just, I was just going to ask, just um, yeah, as you're kind of in, in the throes of trying to set up some stuff at um, you know, your current uh, church context, um, how does like you know, if if you're going to level, level the playing field and say you know if you're going to rip everything we've got down now and and start again and you know build some stuff up from from scratch or from the start, um, how, how do you go? Like, how do you go about like you know clustering people together or put, putting people together? Is there is there um, you know relational dynamics that help you know that uh, what you're wanting to do in small groups um, be you know the small group idea be effective, um, or you know is it better that you know relationship 
grows through through that? Like, what, what's your experience in those kind of? Yeah, things? it's good. All of the above. Yeah. <laughs> no, next, next question. <laughs> Sorry, next question. No, so I I think that there's no wrong answer to that. Yeah, yeah. I think you just got to start somewhere. Yeah. Uh, so in my experience, I would say that people who are at a similar stage of life yep. can tend to then have a sense of wanting to um, journey together. Yep. So particularly, I think that's true with young adults, and yep. I think that that can be true as well uh, in terms of where people are at in their career. Mm-hmm. So people who are kind of at the same stage of life where they're processing through some similar questions, that can be really, really helpful to be able to journey together. Uh, I think taking into account some gender things, So and I've seen both work. So I would personally say that I think it is better when guys meet with guys and girls meet with girls. And the reason for that is that I think there's a greater level of openness in general. Um, but I know that there's other times where that hasn't been the case and it actually works better having both genders. So it's kind of whatever works for people. Um, but I think it is about working through that question of saying, what's going to give me the greatest chance of me being honest and authentic and real? That's got to be the starting point. And so if that is similar demographics, then great. But some people would also value having someone who's older mm. as a part of that conversation, and so they'd prefer that. Uh, I think geography is a really huge thing, and so I would certainly be trying to, especially in a, a bigger church, um, if people are more spread out, trying to say how do we help people gather together where they're closer to each other because there's a greater chance of that happening. Yeah. Or be able to say here's a bunch of people that all work in the city, and so they can get together before work or at lunchtime or whatever and have their time of connecting there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's about trying to remove as many barriers as possible. And yeah. so I think being able to have some conversations with people mm-hmm. and just start somewhere because there is no perfect model of discipleship that I'm aware of anyway that anyone's yeah. come up with yet. Uh, so I think it is really about just say, try something for a short period of time, so whether that is um, a term or whether it's half a year or whatever, um, but be able to say, let's try this and then reevaluate and then tweak from that point. So you don't give up. You say, what did we learn from that and how can we move forward? And I'd certainly say it's very difficult to take a whole church and just dump this in and yeah. say, we're all going to do this now. Yeah. I think you need to start somewhere okay, yeah. with the people who are passionate about doing it, yep. share the stories of how that's been having an impact on them and then allow that to then encourage other people to be a part of it, mm. um, but give some really clear on-ramps to say, okay, so in three weeks, we're going to start another one of these groups or have some people who are intentionally in place to say, I'm going to try and work out who can connect with who. Mm. And so it may be as simple as having some conversations to say, are there two or three others yeah. that you really feel like you connect with here? Who would be a natural connection for you to meet up with? So, yeah. yeah. So small groups is, is not like a, um, what's the word, like a ministry program that you have to, or you want to enforce on church. It's more of a, hey, if you guys are already connecting, having relationships, use that to your advantage, that being discipleship. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, so I think... We tend to think of small groups as a program generally uh, and that's why it struggles at times because discipleship is generally not a program. It is generally more conversational, more relational um, and kind of goes a bit all over the place. And so when we try to force it into a small group context, it generally feels like a program. Uh, And so certainly I've seen some uh, experiences of that where people do get together more just 
effectively to do a Bible study. And there's some value in that, particularly for people who might be starting out in their journey or just starting to learn some things. What are some of the basics and how do we get that down? There's value in doing that for a period of time, um, but that can very easily turn into a very cognitive thing. So we just get together, we talk about what we think about this passage, and then we pray for everyone else. So we pray for my neighbour's cat and <laughs> my friend at work and everybody else except me. I've because been in, I, I've been in small groups like this. That's right, so, where yeah. I'm not really sharing much about myself mm. and then we go home and then yep. next week we come back and we do it again and we talk about some things but we're not actually growing um, that's the danger of it being a small group program discipleship to me is far more I'm opening up it is about my journey it's authenticity where I'm at so one piece of language I think is really helpful and the meeting house I think does this very well is uh, that we would talk about ourselves as a network of small groups of home churches that get together on a Sunday rather than a church that has a small group ministry. And those are two very different things. So if you define yourself as a church that has a small group ministry, you're effectively saying this is an opt-in program that you can be part of if you like, because if you're interested in doing something else during the week, well, you can go to our small groups, and that's great. That's how most people would interpret it. When you talk about us being a network of home churches that then get together on a Sunday, you're emphasising actually the priority is home church. Uh, and we would talk about that at different times to say if there's a season where your life's a bit full and there's lots going on, you may just need to commit to just going to home church during the week because in actual fact we believe that's where the growth is going to happen more. You can listen to the teaching online and so we would encourage you if you have to prioritise one over the other, prioritise that. But we love to get together on Sundays because there's something about being a part of something bigger than yourself and connecting with other people and encouraging people. Uh, Sundays, if that's when your gathering is, is a really good on-ramp for new people to find out more about what's going on. So both are important, um, but being able to make sure where's the priority and where's the emphasis in terms of where the growth happens for people. Okay. Yeah. It's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I think... Yeah, that's that's a, that's a, sh- a big shift yeah. for a lot of church- churches to kind of think of you know their, their their small groups and you know especially you know for me I'm currently not in one so it's like yeah. you know <laughs> for me to go well prioritize prioritize my small group or the you know the few people that I you know, had when I was going to one as my church over what I'd, you know, what I'd yeah. do on a Sunday or yes. whatever <laughs> is, is massive. Yeah. Like, and yeah. yeah, it takes, I think, I think it would take a lot, a lot of switching for a lot of people to kind of yeah, absolutely. get to that, get yeah. to that point because it, you know, yeah, you've all, all, you've got to be a lot more all in, I think, to invest in relationship like that with a small group of people than you know going on Sunday and you can go on Sunday and not connect with anyone absolutely and just be a ghost and tick your box of church on a Sunday and yeah that's that's it so yeah and I think one of the challenges for us to recognize is that in our culture now Mm. that's actually becoming even more rare so once upon a time there were lots of people who would just show up because they felt like I should show up to church. I'm supposed to, so obligatory, I'll do the thing that I'm supposed to do. That's not a thing anymore. And almost every organisation would say the same. Just trying to get people to come out of obligation is gone. So whether it's a sporting club, volunteer organisation, community centre, the idea of someone just coming because they're supposed to, Mm. that does not happen anymore. So it's rarer and rarer for people to do that anyway. Yep. 
but I think for us, we also want to recognize that that's not where the growth really happens. Mm. Um, and so I think challenging ourselves to say, and it's not about saying um, one is the most important and the other is irrelevant. And that's sometimes where we get into some arguments about that, where it's like, yeah. oh, so you're really saying that Sundays don't matter. No, I'm not saying that. Yeah. What I'm saying is both are really important. And so both yeah. are two sides of the same coin. Yeah. But let's talk about what the differences are and what we're trying to achieve with them and make sure that we emphasize that so that people recognize when I come to our gathering, this is what I'm coming to do yeah. and to experience and to expect. But this is also really important for these reasons. Yeah. And particularly when we talk about discipleship, coming back to kind of our key theme, um, the reality is most of us sitting in any kind of gathering <laughs> where we're listening to one person talk for X amount of minutes, <laughs> which varies depending on the church you're in from 15 yeah. to 50, yeah. uh, is not, there's not that much that you take out of that. Now, evidence would show from universities and others that if you write some notes down, you'll retain more of that. But the more that you come back to those notes and if you actually spend some time unpacking that yourself, then you retain, your retention rate goes through the roof. And so with small group stuff that I have found is most effective, it is related to what we're talking about on Sunday. So it's not we have our Sunday gathering and we do whatever we do there and then over here we do a study on Ephesians or we do a study on character traits of the Bible or whatever it might be. Again, some of those can be valuable for a specific reason. But I think being able to say here's the themes that we talked about out in our gathering here's the key scripture that we look at looked at so let's open that up again and be able to read that and be able to say what jumps out at you what are the things that you don't understand what are the things that you don't agree with yeah let's work through the key points and then again get to the point of saying so what on the yep. basis of what we've talked about what am i going to do with that and that again is where i think that needs to be in smaller groups um but having that kind of filter in so then it is both and um that's where i think that we see the most effectiveness happen okay so do you think uh based on your experience that there is a universal kind of structure or, or a or a system maybe that's not the best word a pattern to how small groups should um should happen i mean you just mentioned then that it's beneficial if uh the small group sort of looks at the teaching from Sunday morning service or whatever the service is. But do you, do you, do you find any other things that should be there, other elements? Um, yes and no. So I think I wouldn't get hung up on it. So And I certainly, again, wouldn't be trying to find the perfect formula because I'm 100% sure that doesn't exist. <laughs> and we know that when you systematise things and start to put too much structure in place, it can actually strangle the life out of things. So trying to balance that to say how we well-organised and most importantly, how we intentional about what we're doing. But at the same time, make sure that there's flexibility for people to be able to engage with it in a way that's helpful for them. That's a huge challenge. And especially in bigger churches, that can be really tricky. In smaller churches, you generally are more fluid and so things are a bit easier. Um, so I think not trying to look for what that looks like, but say what works for us is the most important thing to work through. But I think there is value in everyone talking about similar things. And so we've, especially over the last year, tried to tie um, our kids' ministry and the themes that we're talking about in our kids' ministry together with what we're talking about um, in our Sunday gatherings so that we've got the opportunity for parents to be able to have those conversations with their kids. Um, so the idea is over the dinner table when you get home at lunch or <laughs> that night or later in the week, you can sit around and kind of say, well, what did you guys learn? 
well, this is what we talked about and kind of then parents are discipling their kids, which is super, super crucial in their development. But if the kids are talking about one thing, if we're talking about something else in our Sunday gathering and then we're talking about something else in our small group, like where do you even start the conversation because there's just too much going on and we don't have the ability to work through all of that so we just don't do any of it. (laughs) But instead being able to say we're all talking about the same things, then all of a sudden it creates greater opportunities for some of that stuff to happen across the different ministry areas. Okay, so so you want to have that unifying theme uh, something that's that's uh, common for for discussion. Yeah, I think that's yeah. really helpful to be able to say, yeah, for this for these four weeks or whatever it is, we're all talking about the same stuff, and then we're talking about this, and so yeah, so we're in the process of talking about term three, and so planning that out and saying well, how are we making sure that what we talk about fits with what we're doing in our kids ministry, uh, and we're actually going to try and tie that into what we're doing with our youth ministry as well, so that our students are talking about the same things too, so that we're all kind of moving forward in the same topics. Yeah. Yeah, well that's a that's a good point as well because it kind of makes, you know, family the family unit essentially like a a semi small group as well. Absolutely, yeah. Yes. And um, you know, within, you know, we assume that families have dinner together and all those those kind of things and um, you know, not not every family is perfect, but you're giving you're giving opportunity there for you to have, you know, essentially a small group discussion yeah, around that's right. Yeah, around the dinner table after school, yeah. you know, um, whenever there's time, just to yeah keep bringing those things that's happening through church um, to mind because I think that's that's something that ha- that you know a lot of churches struggle with and it's something that we're we're thinking about at the moment is how can we have that enduring yeah uh, content through the week yes. you know, what how is it that Sundays can be. Um, you know, continue to yeah. be discussed um, by families, by small groups, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's right. And pop out through the week. That's not necessarily led by the pastor. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah. yeah, I think yeah. You, I think you need, and you can tell us what you think about this, Nate. But I think you need a strong leadership in this area. Like if you're looking at the whole church and you're trying to develop a, or you're trying to be a network of small groups that actually come together. Uh, it, it's one it's one thing to have someone that teaches um, on Sunday morning, and I think it's the other thing to have someone uh, very intentional, very much responsible for what happens at small groups and making sure that this actually happens. Yeah, absolutely. And I've been in small groups where, uh, <laughs> you know, the mindset is kind of, oh, well, there is no leadership. You yeah. know, we just yes. organically we yes. take turns. Yeah. And yeah, if you have five people that are really gifted leaders, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get different voices. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah. But usually that doesn't happen. Sure. So how do you um? What's the right word again? Enforce? No, it's not enforce. <laughs> how do you, how do you make people do these things? Yeah. How do you how do you encourage and equip people around these that's things? Right. Yes. See, that's why yeah. we interview you. Know me. <laughs> <laughs> how do you encourage people to to have their mindset that we we all have different gifts, right? And we're not all leaders. We're not all capable to lead and be intentional about that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's where I think simplifying things down is better. So what you're talking about is the challenge when you are going through a curriculum, and so if you're doing doing something where you are again reading through the book of Ephesians or you're doing a study on something specifically you need to have someone who's really good at making sure the discussion moves forward and asking the right questions the right way and making sure that they're open-ended questions and they're coming back and all those things so that's absolutely true but if we change the expectations about what it looks like when we come together and it's not about I'm expecting this person to lead 
a discussion. And in particular to say, I'm expecting this person effectively to teach me some stuff tonight. That's why I'm here. But instead to say, this is me coming and sharing. Where am I at in my journey? What am I learning? And we all have that expectation. Then it should actually be possible for all of us to facilitate that. And so for me, it would be about resourcing that with good questions. So like I said, having a set of questions like the ones that we're talking about to say, what have been the biggest challenges in the last week for you? Or what have been the areas where you've experienced life? Or what are you reading? Um, and when we're talking about what we're focused on on a Sunday, then same thing. It's okay, let's open up scripture, but the questions are the same every week, which is what jumps out at you? So is there a word or a phrase that jumps out at you? Is there something that you don't understand? Is there something that really encourages you? Is there something that really challenges you? If you give groups a set of those questions as a toolkit to be able to use, then it does make it a lot easier, except that the expectation has to be clear. So again, even if you give the best set of questions possible, if people come into that environment with an expectation that this person's going to lead a really great discussion and they're going to inspire me and teach me some stuff, that's not going to work because it's very much relying on everybody sharing. So that's where when you set the small group up, you've got to be really clear about expectations to say, this is what we're doing. It's all of us coming together to learn together, not, again, that power dynamic where there's a leader who's trying to teach us and guide us. So you'd, you'd probably use more, there'll be more of a facilitation model. Absolutely, so yeah. Wherever yep. you meet, 100%. They're, the, they're the host, yep. family or, or couple or whatever, um, and... Yeah, that's all it is. Yeah. You're meet, using their house to that's meet right. yep. and there's no expectation on them to, to lead because it's everyone Absolutely. Everyone um, contributing yeah. to, you know, if everyone contributes, then it'll be good. Yep. If everyone doesn't, then it'll suck. <laughs> I think, yeah, and I think, yeah, <laughs> that's right. I think there's always a risk, though, of, of people just hanging out. Yes. Of that just being a social kind of thing. Absolutely right. And so, yeah, how do you... How do you um, yeah, so Control that comes that. back to the question about intentionality. Yeah. So, so, and that is a huge danger. I agree with that 100%, that it is very risky because you stop it being this pro programmatic thing where we've got to do this and this and this and whatever. So that's the risk that you run. But again, if the expectations are about we're here to have intentional discussions, sure, we're going to have some fun and mess around and talk and whatever. But at some point, and we'll work out what that looks like, we're going to get into these questions then that doesn't generally happen. So if people come with an expectation of I'm here to share, I've been thinking about the message since Sunday, thinking about what that means for me, I've been reading scripture, like I'm ready to share what those questions are. And that's again the importance of doing it significantly often enough that it becomes normal. So if you're only doing that once a month, it actually becomes really hard because generally you won't do that in January. You probably won't do it in December either. So now you're down to 10 times a year at the most that you're going to do that. Yeah. It takes a really long time for people to cultivate habits in that. Whereas if you're meeting every two weeks or if you're meeting every week, then all of a sudden that stuff starts to say, like, oh, yeah, this is really helpful. And once people get a taste for it and they can see, actually, this is making a huge difference. I am growing and I can see how you're growing and that's really great. Like I think back to what you said a few weeks ago and now look at where you've got to. That's amazing. When you start to see that happen, then it effectively feeds on itself and you don't have to worry about any of the how do we <laughs> enforce this or how do we push <laughs> this stuff to happen. Yeah, yeah. It's like just try and stop it. Yep. Ah, good. Yeah. I think if you think it, yeah, just doing some maths in my head as you were speaking there, um, I've heard it takes uh, 40 days to ingrain a habit mm -hmm. into your 
brain. I don't know how it works up yep. there. I didn't study the right thing. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so that would take, if you meet monthly and you account for January and December, you're not going to meet. That will take four years. Absolutely. Whereas if it's weekly, it'll take a whole year yeah. um, to get, you know, get that into yeah. your into yeah. your system as to this is this is what it is. So it is it is a bit of a, a patience thing Absolutely. either way, but monthly it's probably gonna Yeah you know, take a very, fall, very long time. Very, very long time mm-hmm. and, and fall over you know the chances of it falling over is, is higher. Yeah. Um whereas, you know, weekly, fortnightly, one to two years is kind of yeah. yeah. And it is that's very hard in our culture because yeah. that's we're not used to that. <laughs> yeah. It's like we want everything instant and yeah. happen right now. And so yeah, so that's just in general, but then in churches we fall into similar traps where we hope that well we've been running this program for a term or for 6 months or even a year, yeah. why aren't we seeing results from it? Yeah. And, my question will be how long did Jesus spend with his disciples? <laughs> yeah. So if Jesus Jesus yeah. <laughs> <laughs> needed three years with his guys and they were together every single day and yeah, hanging out doing everything together. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, then what's right. my expectation about, yes, us running a program once a month and then by the end of the year we're going to see this radical transformation? I was like, well, of course not. So, But yeah. we rarely actually commit to this isn't just about what do we do, so for us, for the next the rest of this year. For me, this is a conversation about, okay, if two and a half years from now, we want to be in a different place culturally in terms of what discipleship looks like. We better get on this <laughs> because yeah. it's going to take us that long to actually get there. So yeah. I hope that there will be some signs through the second half of this year where we see some people growing and that's great and we can share some stories about it. Yeah. But if we want to see that long-term ongoing growth, as you said, it takes a long time for habits to form around that and we're often not anywhere near patient enough for it. Yeah. And our other yeah. challenge is, and I've been guilty of this as well, that we can be very quick to move on to the next thing. So people mm. are in the midst of processing some stuff but we're on to our next theme or our next focus or whatever <laughs> and mm. so we can leave people behind really quickly. Yeah. Um, and I've re- regularly challenged leaders and challenged myself around the fact that as someone who's in full-time ministry, I think about this stuff constantly like this is what the majority of my week is all about and so I might think about something to do with discipleship I don't know 20 30 times a week the people who are a part of Brooklyn Park (laughs) might think about it once or twice so not only is there a danger about how long it's going to take them and the patience around that but how far ahead I can get so after a month, I've thought about this stuff, whatever, 160 times, 200 times, and they've thought about it four or eight. And so the gap that then develops that we think as leaders, everyone's on the same page as us because we're thinking about it and talking about it all the time, where are they at with it? And so we have to learn to pump the brakes and slow down a bit and say, okay, well, we've got to give people time to catch up and let this take root in order for it to actually produce fruit in the long haul. Yeah, that's good. Patience. Patience, yeah. Patience. Who knew? Yeah. <laughs> I'm I sure the Bible says something about that somewhere. Yeah, yeah. something. Well, you have to read it, though. <laughs> <laughs> who's, got, who's got time for that? <laughs> who's patient enough to read the Bible? Right. Um, I think the other thought that I just had that came to me as you were speaking, Nate, is uh, we, we often, uh, in leadership, uh, uh, I think we often forget to look at the life of Jesus mm. and his kind of style, you know, his, his pattern. He had a small group. And yeah. then he had a smaller group within that small mm-hmm. group. That's right. But he also preached to hundreds. Yeah, and, exactly. You know, yep. And and we spent a lot of time, and you know, guilty as charged, uh, looking after Sunday mornings and making sure that everything is produced really well. Yeah. 
you know, and then we often, because we think that's what Jesus would do, perhaps, mm-hmm. <laughs> preach to people. Uh, but then we forget about the small group um, emphasis. Yeah. And so I wonder what your thoughts are on how to, um, how to teach that to people, how to help them see that that's as important as what culturally I think we would all think Sunday, Sundays are. Yeah, I think, again, it's about giving them a taste of it. And so not trying to say one size fits all. And like I said earlier, dump something on everyone and say, okay, guys, so for the rest of this year, this is what we're doing. (laughs) Or, and this is what has happened in some churches, we're shutting down all of these other things that are probably effective and serving a purpose right now. We're shutting them all down and we're just going to do this thing. That's not a helpful way of helping people to understand. So I think with all change, it is about saying who are the people who are interested, who are the people who are keen, and so how do we work with them? Because if we can move them forward, then other people will come with them naturally and get them to be the ones who talk about it. So it's not just about me standing up the front and saying, hey, we're doing this new thing and this is why, but someone else being able to stand up and say, this has had a real impact on me for these reasons, and I would really encourage you to think about being a part of one as well. I think that has so much more value and makes so much more of a difference than anything that we can say. Because people expect us to say what we're doing is worthwhile. That's why we're in leadership positions and it would <laughs> yeah. be pretty ridiculous if we stood up and said, I don't think this is worth your time. Yeah. <laughs> don't bother coming along. <laughs> this is going to be a waste of it. <laughs> so they expect us to stand up and say, this is going to be great. Yeah. But when someone else who has really no vested interest in it stands up and says, this is having an impact on my life and my walk with Jesus, yeah. Yeah. people's ears prick up. It's like, wow, yeah. okay, well, yeah, maybe that is worth listening to. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Mike, you look like you have no further questions. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, in, I'm interested, maybe, maybe just change gears a little bit and pedal back to the, you know, the very start of our conversation, if that's all right. That's fine. Um, You're the boss, boss. <laughs> I've, I've, I've heard a lot of people talk about, um, and this may be just all in my mind, but I'm keen to hear what you've got to say about it, but um, they pit evangelism and discipleship against each other. And you, you know, we kind of kind of didn't answer the question before as to it's, you know, there's, so pretend we pretend we hold them hold them apart. Um, well, like, how much time should a, a church kind of spend in discipleship primarily with its people, as opposed to? Um, you know, getting out into the community yeah. and evangelizing. That's, that's you know, the classical yes. um, kind of understandings of what these two things are. Um, you know, like, should, is, is it helpful to think of them like that? Or, yeah, like that, that's, that's kind of, I don't know. Yeah, it's good. Well, yes. How, how often should we? Did you get the question? <laughs> I in did. My, yes. In my yeah. aimless Actually, can, can you repeat that, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't quite get that. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah. I think some of the problems that we have yeah. at times is that we get hung up on terms. So yeah, yeah, evangelism yeah. is it evangelism? Is it outreach? Is it mission? Is yeah. it missional? Yeah, yeah. Is it whatever? Like there's yeah. all these things. So I think that's where it's helpful to talk about. Well, what are you meaning by that? And yeah, I think yeah. the way you've just articulated it is very important. Yeah. Because I do think we need to make a distinction to say how much time are we spending on the people who are already a part of our faith community yeah. and how much time are we spending intentionally trying to build relationships with people who aren't.
can't. Yeah. So if you want to call that evangelism, great. If you want yep. to call it outreach, great, whatever. Yeah. Um, but I think the danger is that if without defining what that is, mm. then all of a sudden it does just become a conversation about, well, evangelism means running alpha. Yeah. Which can be really helpful and great. Or evangelism means standing in the mall. And yelling at people, yeah. <laughs> which I have my opinions about, which I won't vocalise because it's are not. You, are you criticising my style? <laughs> I told you the other day to stop doing that. So evangelism means all of these different things, or it means standing up in a service and saying who wants to give their life to Jesus. So yeah. and God can work through all of those things. So God's mm. bigger than any of us yep. and any of our strategies, and God has proven all of us wrong at times that He's used things that we would say are ineffective to change people's lives. So I'm not pragmatic enough to say none of that works or it does work every time or whatever. Yeah. But I think it's really crucial to say how much of our time is spent looking outside of just the people that we've got here and so using mm. kind of a generalization the four walls of our church. Yeah. And saying are we just focused on everyone who does gather here? Mm. And I would say it's important to then divide that up and say how much of that time is spent on our gatherings. Yeah. Which is important, but is all of our time spent on that? How much time are we investing in discipleship as we've been articulating it? Mm. So people journeying together, taking their next steps in their walk with Jesus. So we're splitting that that time apart and saying, is there resources being carved out yep. for both of those things so that we can make sure it's not just one or the other? Yep. But then I think there is a third piece to say, and how much are we focused on connecting with the people around us? And that's never been more important than it is now because the days of just kind of setting up a nice sign and people showing up are gone yeah. by and large. Again, God's shown me that that's not always the case. and yeah. <laughs> He can do whatever he wants. There are random occurrences where people just felt like I was supposed to tour, and so I did. It's like, well, that's great, but yeah. I don't think that's normal anymore. No, I think most people are a number of steps removed from any thought of going to a church and for most people in the community around us it would be like us getting up one morning and thinking I'm going to go and visit a mosque mm. or I'm going to go and visit a temple it's like that just would not be on our radar for the majority of people around us the idea of I'm going to get up and go to church today fits in exactly the same category mm. so we have to take the responsibility of building relationships with people and it's got to start there so do yep. we know our neighbors the people that we work with the families that our kids are in playgroup or school with are we building relationships with people so that we're in a position to be able to have conversations again that are intentional about things that matter um, mm. But again, the days of just that turning into an overtly evangelistic conversation, as they probably used to be known, where it's, like, yep. do you believe in Jesus or <laughs> whatever? It's yeah. like, no, we've got to have some other questions that we start with. Yeah. Um, but to me, and that's, again, the blurriness that I was saying earlier, to me what that actually looks like is remarkably similar to what we would do in that type of small group. So yeah. for me, it is about... Would I have my neighbours over for a meal and spend some time connecting with them and have some conversations about what's going well and what are the challenges that you're facing and what are you struggling with um, to be able to get to a point of having some conversations about meaning and purpose, which mm. are the two things that I think most people are searching for the most around us, yeah. uh, and saying, where are you finding the answers to those things? But this is the same as what you said before. To think that that's going to happen if I have them over for dinner twice a year. Yeah. Like that's ludicrous. Yeah. <laughs> Why on earth would we get to that conversation that quickly? Yeah. So yeah. am I carving time out of my schedule to spend time with them? 
And as churches, are we freeing people up so they've got enough time to be able to do that? Um, but are we also yeah, challenging ourselves to say how are we getting out there, how are we building relationships with people in the community, how are we creating opportunities where those conversations might happen? If we don't prioritise it, it probably won't happen because we so easily default back to what are we doing in our gatherings because we can control that pretty easily and invest lots of resources in it well. So if we're not intentionally saying where is this fitting into our budgets, where is it fitting into our priorities, yeah, mm. it won't happen. And again, I think um, yeah, what you were saying before around you know, empowering the people that are uh, passionate about that and having them maybe speak to the, the larger community yeah. would speak more than you just getting up there on a Sunday and saying, oh, you should be speaking to your neighbours right, and all yeah. that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. 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 But some of it feeds on itself too. So yeah. I think we, as leaders, often feel frustrated about how much people are connecting with their neighbours or aren't, <laughs> how many yeah. conversations are happening, whatever. And so I always want to check myself first yeah. and say, how much am I doing that? Because yeah. if I'm not, I have no right to ask anybody else to do it. Yeah. Because why should they if I'm not even willing to do it? Yeah. So that's question number one. But I then think there's a follow-up to say, if people aren't doing this organically, yeah. it's because there's something missing in their passion and their heart about their relationship with Jesus. Because we talk about the things that we're passionate about. We talk about footy. We talk about the movies that we've seen. We talk about music. We talk about this great meal that I had. You, we don't have to tell people, go and tell someone <laughs> that you yeah. went and saw the Avengers movie and it was amazing. Like yeah. <laughs> no one had to get up and say, go and do that. Yeah. <laughs> it just yeah. happens. So yeah. we have to ask ourselves some questions. What's going on in people's relationships with Jesus that it's not something that is moving them enough that they feel motivated to go and say to someone else, this thing is making a huge difference in my life. Yeah. And so then we're back to the questions around, okay, well, how does that happen? To yeah. me, it's about getting together smaller groups, having those conversations and stoking those fires that way yeah. and then seeing that kind of take off from there. Yeah. Very good. I think there's nothing left to say. Sure. <laughs> We've covered everything. We solved it all. We solved the problem of evangelism, good discipleship work, and small groups. All yep. fixed. Yep. Yeah. Okay, so uh, <laughs> yep, if you want to pay us for that, <laughs> guys, <you> can... <laughs> all jokes aside, um, yeah, thanks for your time, Nate. It's been, it's been a privilege yeah. to um, hear your thoughts and learn from you. Hmm. Mike, any final questions or are we done? No, I, th I think I'm asked out. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. We've exhausted the list of our That's questions. Right. So yeah. I, think I would say to finish, like, yes, all of that sounds really simple. It's yeah. not. It's so <laughs> I'm very passionate about all this stuff, obviously, yeah. and this is what is most important to me, and we're not doing a great job with it. So I don't in any way try and say I'm the expert in this and look at us, we're, we've solved sure. the problems yeah. and it's working. It is really, really hard, mm -hmm. and the reason why it's hard is because, again, there's no quick fix there is patience that's involved. And it is taking a people. very long-term... Yeah, <laughs> people whose lives are very full yeah, and yeah. we're in a society and a culture that's very complex and there's lots that's layering into people and so they're trying to find their way through things. So I think being able to be patient with ourselves around that and being able to really say, God, you're more passionate about this than we are. You're more passionate about the people who are part of our churches yeah. connecting with you and having a deep relationship with you and growing in that relationship. And you're more passionate yeah. about the people in the neighbourhoods around us discovering you 
So this is not because you don't care. <laughs> you obviously care. So how are we getting God's heart in this? Mm. And then from that, how do we get to a place where we say, okay, who are the people who would be interested and start there and just try something mm. and then move forward in that. And as you learn, then continue to adapt. Yeah, amen. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks. guys. Thanks so much. Thank you. Well, that's the end of our interview with Nath. It's a lot of stuff to chew on and think about in there. What did you think, Andy? Yeah, look, I I think uh, discipleship and evangelism. This should be an ongoing conversation for us uh, leaders, and, and you know, not just for those who are in leadership, but just for everyone who's involved in any sort of ministry. And I think. You know, Nate had very good uh, insights and very good comments about the relationship between evangelism and discipleship. And I, you know, I, I, it's not that I agree or disagree with him. I just uh, always had a different understanding of how evangelism relates to discipleship. Yeah. And I think, you know, evangelism or the gospeling or however else you want to phrase it, uh, I'm, I'm actually still at the stage of thinking that this is the entry point to discipleship. You know, so you are you are evangelizing someone, which, in my experience and in my mind and in my theological framework, means that you are introducing them to Jesus because of uh, by telling them the story of Jesus, the gospel, and then when they have enough trust to uh, to believe that this story is true and transformative and can you know change their lives, that's when they start to be a disciple because yeah. they have enough trust to actually say, okay, I'm interested in this Jesus guy, so I want to follow him. And yeah. that's when discipleship starts. So I'm yeah. not so sure about this other side of the coin where we are kind of discipling people to that decision of accepting yeah. the gospel. I'm, well, i got to think about this. I, I, I think like, I've always struggled with keeping them apart because, I mean, the, the process to me seems very similar um, in the sense, you know, when, when you're thinking about what Nath kept on coming back to, which was the idea of, you know, what's your next step? So, you know, what's your next step um, in getting closer to Jesus is the same, like, you know, the idea of the next step is whether someone hasn't believed in Jesus yet or whether someone does believe in Jesus, there's always a next step to get closer to him. Yeah. Um, so so in, in, those, in that sense, I'm kind of, yeah, I've always struggled with uh, the idea that we need to be doing discipleship or evangelism, but rather, you know, I I kind of think they, you know, we should be doing both, and they're they're kind of you know, yeah, yeah, intertwined so, somehow in the in the way that we think about them. Yeah, I think I yeah, I think I'm with you on that one. So yeah. I think what I got out of this conversation, um, well, quite a few things, but the main thing probably would be that the bottom line is, is uh, recognizing where people are at in mm. the spiritual journey in their life. And if they have already accepted the gospel as something that's true, and if they have enough trust to follow Jesus, we begin to disciple them. And part of this process of discipling might be that we will tell them the gospel again. Mm. Uh, you know, the passage from 1 Corinthians 15, I think it is, uh, comes to mind where Paul says, he writes to the church in Corinth, and obviously, you know, he writes to the church, so these guys, 
would have heard the gospel and accepted it. And he says, let me remind you of the gospel that I've preached to you. Mm. And I think that's part of his discipling strategy, that he's actually telling them yeah. about something they already know. So, yeah, uh, they'll be part of this. But if you meet someone and recognize they haven't had a chance to hear the gospel properly, mm. part of discipling would be uh, this, this idea of evangelism, right? That you introduce this gospel to him. Yeah. So I think that's how I make sense of it. And, and Nate, I think did a pretty good job at explaining this relationship in, in his mind and how that works. Yeah. So I enjoyed yeah. that. Yeah. Another thing that I really enjoyed and am still trying to figure out how it all how it all works is the idea um, of, you know, small groups being the core core kind of relational um, meeting point if you if you like of um, you know what we call our discipling yeah, yeah. Um, relationships and that kind of thing and then all of those small groups meet on a Sunday so the idea that he was talking about when he was in um, the church in in Canada um, was that um, you know he would say to people if they've got, got to prioritize one prioritize your small group because that's where the growth happens um, so that idea of you know it's, it's totally foreign to me in the sense that you know it seems that a lot of people think um, Sundays are the main event and small groups are kind of optional um, you know and but yeah like he, he's kind of going well actually the growth happens which I tend to kind of agree when you're in that deep relationship what good small groups are um, is you know that is where the growth is going to happen because you've got that support network and whatever um, to see you grow whereas you can go to church on Sunday and not actually meet talk to anyone you know go and get your coffee like that might be the only interaction that you actually have and then go home and you know like you can let sermons wash over you you can let you know the, the worship musical worship time wash over you and not be affect choose not to be affected by that as well um, but you know it's really hard to do that when you come to a small group yeah there's so many less you know there's a lot less people that's right and there's a lot less um, it's more more difficult to hide. Than... Yeah. No, that's true. And you know, uh, just final thought from me, just on that. You mm. know, from my perspective as, as as a leader in the church, as as a pastor, uh, we we certainly have a tendency to emphasise Sunday mornings. Yeah. And and say things like, bring your friends to church on Sunday. Yeah. Because, I guess maybe subconsciously, I don't think I'm consciously aware of this but Sunday is the pinnacle of of the week for us you know mm. we do everything we work on sermons we work on music and programs and we're trying to get to the point of having an amazing or the best that we can um, the highest quality uh, of production for Sunday yeah and then the rest stuff during the week other ministries it's kind of optional you know it just mm. happens and I think Nate also talks about this just from memory uh, in, in the conversation that if we have the system of uh, glorifying Sundays you know yeah. Sunday is the best day you have to be at church yeah. then all the other things including small groups mm. they either just turn into programs or they become optional yeah and the real true uh, honest and and, and and valuable relationships and discipleship happens in in small groups so you can't get discipled well on Sunday mm. mornings because mm. you just there's a 45 minutes or an hour of the service and 
how much of the time is actually interacting and discussing things. Unless your church does things like Q&A or Q&R, question and response yeah. at the end of the message. That's helpful. We started doing that in my church and I, I, I find people actually commenting saying that oh, that's, that's valuable. Yeah. But if you don't have anything like that, mm. uh, you're just a spectator often and, and that sucks. Yeah. So yeah, something to think about, I reckon. Yeah, um, I mean, like you know, in, in in the way that you know most churches are set up with with it being optional for small groups, you know, for those that go, you know, they're intentionally going to grow, in a sense. So I wonder, you know, something I'm still still um, mulling over in my mind is uh, what does it look like uh, to be, you know, more intentional uh, or um, you know, speak about small groups in a way uh, that is intentional. Um, I guess, yeah, corporately, that this is this is more more important in in a sense than your Sunday. Mm. You know, from from the front, what does it what does it look like for people to be um, you know prioritizing their small group and prioritizing those relationships over? I must show up on Sunday so that they don't, you know, call me and make sure I'm okay with my pastoral care call. Yeah, yeah. Come after two or three weeks or whatever it is. Um, yeah, so that, that's you know. Yeah, and that's hard, I think, because part of that is you changing the culture. Like, yeah. Look, look at the look at the Christian culture that we function in. Yeah. Culture is Sunday is the main um, dominant, um, you know, idea of. Not sure how to phrase it, but Sunday is the main thing, right? Yeah. For us. Yeah. And so to now start preaching or encouraging mm. <laughs> your congregation to, to change sort of their, their mindset, that's you change the whole culture, and that's you know it's not gonna happen overnight, and yeah. it's gonna take more than one person or just few people that lead. Mm. Uh, and I think Nate also uh, mentions that in the interview, um, he said something about you know um, you have to you have to have people from your congregation encouraging one another. Yeah. This is something that we want to be doing, rather than having uh, one of the leaders or a pastor yeah. uh, preaching about that from stage. Because people yeah. will think, oh, of course he's going to say that because that's yeah. his job or whatever. Or and the idea job. of starting starting small and you know with the group of people who are really passionate about it, um, yeah, and allowing them to kind of then it filters out naturally, rather than being the enforcer. Who's saying you you will be part of a small yeah. group and you're going to love it? <laughs> um, yeah. I think it yeah it would definitely definitely come across better if you you know you have a have a group you know even if it's just one group and after six months you, know, you have have someone share in the service to say hey this is you know this is what this is the growth that we've seen happen and you know this is what we um, are committed to you know. If you're interested in joining us, if you're interested in starting another group, yeah, yeah, you know, and it can naturally kind of go on, go on from that, and you know, culture change always starts small. Yeah, so I think that'll be a good strategy. Yeah. yeah. Okay, we can talk about this stuff forever, <laughs> so we need to wrap this up. Um, I hope we hope that this is helpful for you guys, whoever you are, if you're a leader or a, a small group leader listening to this. Uh, hopefully, you found this helpful. Uh, and please get in touch say hello uh, follow us on social media Facebook Instagram Twitter uh, there's a website you can leave a comment on uh, let us know if you found this helpful if you have any questions uh, we would love to hear from you don't be shy say hello and we will do our best to respond to you as soon as we can mm. 
And the idea, again, just to reiterate with these podcasts, is to start the discussion. We're not giving you answers. We're not saying you have to believe a certain thing. Um, We're just starting a discussion, starting a conversation with you. And, um, yeah, we just hope that you would want to join that. Amen and amen. Okay, so that's it from us. And until the next episode, stay captivated. We don't care about, we don't know.